I love that video. That, that video is actually rated, I don't know if it's MTV, MTV or something else that rated it the greatest music video of all time. Or, and I'm not kidding. Uh, it was because it's so artistically pure and honest, and it's people having to praise. And if you paid real careful attention at the beginning, the lead dancer prays. He says, God, let this be our best ever, and, and let us put it out there. And, and then they start, and then the world around them comes in and tries to stop or doesn't quite know what to do with them, and, and yet they keep going, they persevere. We have to praise him. We have to praise God like we should, like we've been wired up to do. Just let me hit the pause button for a second and say hello. Uh, some of you don't even know who I am, so I should probably introduce myself. My name's Mike, I'm a pastor here at Hope. I'm called the senior pastor because I've been around the longest, and uh, it means I'm old. Uh, but I'm here pinch hitting today for Pastor John. Uh, he preached last night, he's on sabbatical, he's doing a lousy job of ending his sabbatical by showing up and preaching, um, but that's uh, Pastor John. He is the most incredible, faithful, amazing leader. He and his wife Tiffany and Amanda, who's been pinch hitting for him, uh, praise God for them, and Jed, the whole staff, the whole team, you guys are really blessed. So my wife and I were here last night uh, for the party and the arts festival, and we, we came in for worship, of course, at 5 o'clock for the Saturday service, and we heard John's great sermon, and then afterwards, uh, he's back on his sabbatical for another week or so, two maybe, and um, I mean, pastors only work Sunday, so how hard is it? But I mean, it, he, so you'll see him soon is what I'm trying to say, uh, which will be great for him and for you. It's always good to have that uh, coming back together, but... Um, he said they were, you were going to see a video of one of my sermons that I recently preached, and I thought, well, I'm off this weekend from preaching, and I'm here, so I'll just, I've always wanted to come here and preach uh, for you live. Sometimes you see him on the screen, so I'm just glad to be here. Thank you. So I'm, I want to applaud you. Thank you for that, but I want to applaud you. You're an amazing church, because you remind me of that video. Uh, the party in the parking lot yesterday reminded me of the video. Uh, you're getting the word out. You're letting your light shine. You're bringing the gospel, which means good news, of Jesus Christ out into the world around you, into the city of Des Moines. And um, it's okay if people make fun of you for it once in a while or don't respond like you want them to once in a while or um, wander away from it once in a while. We were walking around the arts festival yesterday, yesterday too, and maybe you're going there later Today, it's a great event for Des Moines and the city and such beautiful stuff. I mean, just inspiring stuff all, all, you know, from booth to booth to booth as you go through. And as I'm there, though, it struck me. There's a part of me that just thought, if I could just hold up a sign, you know, that says, follow me, and I'd lead them to the five o'clock service last night so they could come here. I mean, they're, they're so close. They're just thousands of people just blocks away from the good news of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean that, you know, some of them aren't getting that at their churches this morning and we're all on the same team. But some of them aren't. And some of them are missing the best stuff. And some of them are missing the opportunity to praise. And some of them are looking for the per per perfect piece of art that'll fit just in that spot they've always wanted to fill in their bedroom or whatever it might be. And that if they find that, they think that's going to somehow just complete, you know, the room or complete their, their, their goal or, or whatever it might be. But it's not fair to the artist and it's not fair to the art because it doesn't have the potential to do that. It can't satisfy our souls. Our, 
this is not an either or. It's not like you have to go with God and be anti-art. It's not anti-art at all. It's pro-art. It's, it's a great thing. And it's great to find that perfect piece for your bedroom that you've always been looking for. And if it can make you happy, that's great too. But it's not enough. It's not enough. What we really need is like what Jesus said to Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and 42. You know, that Martha's stewing and, and busy and doing all these things, and Mary's sitting down at the feet of Jesus and worshiping. is worshiping God. And Martha says, hey, Jesus, tell my sister to come and, and help me. Tell my sister to, to come and, and, and not just be lazy and sitting there and, and worshiping you. I, I've got a lot to do here. Can't you see how much I have to do? And Jesus says, Martha, you're, you're worried and troubled about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the better part, and it won't be taken away from her. And there's a huge teaching there for us and for our culture. You've chosen the better part today. That doesn't make you better than people who are blowing off worship to be at the arts festival or at Little League baseball practices or wherever it might be. It just means that you have heard the call and you've answered it, and you're doing what you've been wired up to do. Just like you need to eat and I need to eat, and we need to sleep, we need to breathe, we need to worship the Lord. So turn to the person on your right and left and say, you need to be here, and you've made a wise choice. <laughs> You're wired for it. That was interesting the way you shared that. It started slow, and then someone's like, yeah, you really do. It's great. <laughs> Let's read this psalm together from the scriptures, Psalm 96. It points to this truth that we need to be here. O nations of the world, recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Let all the earth tremble before him. There's a, uh, all sorts of different English translations of the original Hebrew, and I don't think this will surprise too many of you, but if you're new to Christianity or the Bible or you haven't um, you know, uh, started to grow in your faith yet, you might not know this. Jesus didn't speak in King James English. I know, I'm mind blown, right? And so he didn't walk around and say thine and thee and thou and use all this formal language. He used language that everybody used in daily life around him. He wasn't overly, overly formal. There was no hint or indication of that at all, of anything he said. It just sounds like it to us because of the English language and the older versions. And so we start to think, well, that's biblical. You have to have it sound really formal and you have to make it sound really distant and kind of out there and very academic. Jesus was as down to earth as he could. He would take difficult to... Uh, to conceive theological concepts, the deepest stuff, and he'd use metaphors. He says, I, you're not going to get what heaven's like if I approach it academically, so I'll just use a metaphor or a simile. It's like this. It's, it's like a, a mustard seed that grows into the greatest of all shrubs. It's like heaven is like, it's like a pearl of great price that when you find it, you, you sell everything else you have so that you can hold on to it. Jesus used everyday language, down-to-earth honest and raw. So there are all these different Bible translations, and the New Living Translation that we use a lot at Hope, or the NIV, or uh, also, uh, uh, the NRSV once in a while, are all great. 
There's a relatively new one in the last 10 years or so called The Message. Are any of you familiar with The Message? Some of you are. I love it. Uh, I love it as a supplement when I'm doing Bible studies and I'm researching and studying or if I'm just doing my daily devotions. It's actually a paraphrase, uh, an academic paraphrase by one of the premier uh, Bible scholars on planet Earth. His name is Dr. Eugene Peterson. He's a retired now uh, older professor, uh, religion professor, who emphasized and is particularly scholarly when it comes to the, the uh, ancient biblical languages of Hebrew and Greek. Once upon a time, a friend of his was hurting and was broken, and, and she asked Dr. Peterson to uh, send her something that, that might help, would minister to her. And so he opened up the Bible in the middle of the Bible like you could, or I hope you do on a regular basis, and in the middle of the Bible is the book of Psalms. Psalms is a fancy Bible word that you may not know the meaning of. It's very simple. Psalms means songs. So literally, when you open up to the middle of the Bible and the longest book of the Bible, 150 chapters, longest by far, you're reading a hymn book. You're reading a book of songs that were written by King David and others who wrote these songs about where they were in their relationship with God. Their joys, their praise, their sorrows, their challenges, the high highs, the low lows, and, and everything in between. In this book of Psalms, Eugene Peterson took a psalm and with his scholarship, his brilliance, he read the original Hebrew of the text and he paraphrased it into everyday English. And he tried to be as true to the Hebrew as he possibly could. And he sent it to her and it blessed her. And then other friends started to ask for the same thing. And before you knew it, he had translated all 150 songs or the Psalms. And then he got an idea. So what if I translate the whole Old Testament and the New Testament and I put it in this book and that's what the message is? This brilliant Bible scholar took the original text and he tried to stay as true to him as he could, but his only goal was to use language that people actually use. Do you ever notice how church people come up with words that nobody else uses? <laughs> Sanctification, holiness, uh, loving on people. Who else loves on people except Christians? I don't even, that's a little weird, isn't it? To love on somebody? Get a little creepy. Uh, you know, or, or we talk about, Jesus never said go love on people. <laughs> Jesus never said be sanctified, you know, sanctification and justification. And these are all things that Christians have come up to summarize. It's not, they're not bad words, but they're summary words of biblical texts. That's not a big deal. It's not, I'm not going to you know, be the language police if somebody says that to me, but what I love is so refreshing, and that's what this year is all about at Hope. Our theme is to refresh. What's so refreshing about a paraphrase like Dr. Peterson's The Message is it gets to the heart of the text. And so I'd encourage you to check it out if you have an opportunity. Here's a good example. So we read together the New Living Translation of Psalm 96. Let's read the message paraphrase from Dr. Peterson from the original Hebrew. Let's read it together. Bravo, God, bravo. Everyone join in the great shout. Encore, in awe before the beauty, in awe before the might. Bring gifts and celebrate. Bow before the beauty of God. Then to your knees, everyone worship. That's what worship is. 
In the original text, the Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Greek of the New Testament, that's what this word means for worship. Go ahead and go to that screen if you would. There's the Hebrew word. Let's read it together. <laughs> Just having fun with you. It's proskuneo. Proskuneo on the bottom is the Greek. And from John 4, when Jesus tells the woman at the well, the day is coming when people will worship God in spirit and in truth. There's the word for worship. In the Greek below and the Hebrew from Psalm 96, which we just read together up above. It has a very simple translation. It literally means to bow down before the creator of the universe. To bow down before God. Even more into the literal translation of the original Hebrew, it means to lay flat on the earth and kiss the ground that God has made in honor of him. That's, when you read about worship, that's what it is in the Bible. That doesn't mean, <laughs> it was like, oh, seriously, we're going to start doing that around here? I mean, the floor, is that okay? Metaphorically, it means to bow down. Bow your hearts, the Bible will say, to God in worship. Humble yourself. Humble myself before a holy God. Bow down before the one who has the power to create with a spoken word. Let there be light. Acknowledge the glory of this God. Acknowledge the wonder, the awesomeness of this God. Acknowledge who this God is. Worship God. And we need to do it. It doesn't matter if you or I think we need to do it. We could say, well... Uh, worship is something I like to do once in a while when I have time, when I'm not too busy, which, by the way, is one of the devil's best games in the world today. He doesn't have to make you an atheist. He just has to make you too busy. Because if he gets you too busy, he's going to distract you from doing what you need to do. Among other things, what you and I need to do is worship the Lord. We need to be here. And I know, and I've preached, and I've taught, and I believe it. Romans 12 says worship isn't just what we do on Sunday mornings. It's not just what we're doing here. Worship is something that we can do all the time, in all of our waking hours. So you can worship the Lord at work by working for the glory of God and using the gifts God given to you to be the, the, the best salesperson you can be or the best plumber you can be or the best carpenter you can be or the best lawyer or teacher or whatever it is that you do or the best accountant that you can be. You go out and you do that based on what God has given to you, the brain God has given to you, the gifts and the opportunities God has given to you, and you do it for the glory of God. Do everything the Bible says as if you're doing it for the Lord. And this will be your spiritual act of worship. You're bowing down before God. You're doing it for the honor and the glory of the God who gave you these gifts and opportunities. It's not just work, it's, it's play, it's socializing with friends, it's hanging out with family, it's, it's pursuing your personal hobbies. Do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, the scriptures teach, do it for God's glory. So worship isn't just confined to what we're doing right now on Sunday morning. Coming together, praying, praising God, singing our songs. Uh, what you're doing right now is a humble act before God. You are humbling yourselves enough to sit still, to be, to be quiet, and to listen to the proclamation of a biblical uh, sermon, uh, of a sermon that points you to the ancient truths of scriptures. 
If you don't have any humility, if, it, if you don't need it, you, don't, you, you say, oh, I can take or leave. I, I don't need to know anything more about God's word. I don't need to know anything more about the Bible. I don't need to praise. I don't need to pray. Or I'll do it once in a while. I don't have to do it every week. But then God comes along and reminds us who we are. He says, you didn't make you, I made you. And when I made you, I wired you up to worship me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's on God's top 10 list of his 10 commandments. These are the things you do so that it will bless you. It's interesting to me that we uh, think that we need to do certain things in life. And we do. We need to eat. We need to sleep. We need to brush our teeth. I mean, I hope you brush your teeth. And if you don't, you're going to pay for it somewhere down the road. But things like worship, we say, optional. We really don't need to do it. And, and, and I get it. There's no legalistic requirement. There's no attendance being taken in, in heaven, some big scoreboard to see if you're here. And, and if you light up the scoreboard enough, you're going to get a better penthouse suite in heaven someday. It's not that at all. It's, it's, we're not here because we got to be here. We're here because we get to be here. Get it? If we get that, it changes everything. It starts to align everything. So now there are all these studies that come out that say, huh, we don't know why. We can't figure out what the reasons are. But we notice that if there are two groups of people, and the only difference, relatively speaking, scientifically speaking, between these two groups of people, they eat the same, they exercise the same, they, 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 the same kind of baseline kind of groups. The only difference between these two groups is group A worships whenever they want to or not at all, and group B worships every week and follows the Sabbath command, group B is happier, healthier, and lives longer every time. Go figure. Maybe we need this more than we think. Maybe it's not as optional as we think it is. Maybe the creator of the universe knew what he was saying when he said, because I love you, I want to tell you how I made you. I made you to worship me every week, whether you want to or not is really irrelevant. Whether you are in the mood for it or not, whether you're too busy for it or not, is really not the point. Dr. Peterson, who translated the message, puts it this way. He says, worship is not something a person experiences. It's something we do, regardless of how we feel about it, because it's who we are. It's who God made us to be. We're not just here. I I hear people say this, and I get it, and, and there's something to it. People say, well, I worship to see what I can get out of it. That's okay, but that's kind of all about us, isn't it? And worship at its biblical best isn't going to be all about us. It's going to be all about God. So we get a little closer and we go a little deeper and we say, well, I worship because I want to experience the Lord, whether I get something out of it or not. It, again, it's not either or. It's not, if you get something out of worship, that's not a bad thing. I don't want you to walk out and go, well, I got something out of worship, but I don't want to admit it. And so you walk out of here feeling guilty and, you know, only, right, Lutherans can make you feel guilty for doing something good. Well, I got something something big out of worship today, but I'm not going to tell anybody because I think that's wrong. No, it's right. That's a good thing. But there are deeper reasons to be here. If you get something out of worship, great. If Jed sang the songs that you like the most today, bonus. If I'm preaching on a text today that you're interested or passionate about, thumbs up. Yay, God. I'm glad for that. But that's not the reason you're here, is it? There's got to be something deeper than just something in it for you or for me. 
You say, well, yeah, a little deeper, right? We're here to experience God, to have fellowship with God in the body of Christ. Yes, we are. But even deeper, we're here because it's who we are. It's how God wired us up, and because the God who loves us and made us loves us enough to say, do this, and it'll go better for you. And now all the studies come out that say people who do are happier, healthier, and live longer. Go figure. Worship is something we do regardless of how we feel about it when we get it right, regardless of how busy we are. We say, well, I'll worship when I'm not so busy. I'm studying a lot lately. Or work has just been crazy. Or I've got company over this week. Good, bring them. We'll, we'll make more room here. We'll put up more chairs. Well, there, there's a lot. I'm, I'm working on a project at home. I, I've got a lot of things going on. My kid's got a soccer game. There, there, there's a lot of stuff happening. There's an arts festival. There, there's stuff. I, I'm not going to have time this week. And, and that's going to be okay. God will understand. Yeah, God's a God of grace. He absolutely will offer his love and blessing and grace and forgiveness for all of us, no matter what. But he also loves us enough to say, this is how I made you. This is how I made you. And it'll go better for you if you honor that. And you keep that commandment. And it'll bless you in this way. We worship because it's who we are. And it is something that God has created in us, not just as a throwaway option, but as a need. It's something that is inside of us, whether we get something out of it or not. Whether we get goosebumps and experience the presence of God in the moment. If you do, great. But whether you do or not, you still needed to be here to serve God and in the presence of God's house. We call it a worship service. We're here to serve God. We're here to serve one another. For some of you, it's because you're singing your song. Some of you sing, like Jed and Mandy are up here singing, and their harmony, oh, good gracious, it's just perfect. And there's a part of me that's like, I could do that. I could have done it. And then if I did, <laughs> no, I'll sing in the car by myself and I'll actually start to listen to myself. I'm like, no, I'm just going to preach. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to sing. So some of you are here to bless the people around you with your voices. And, and you should probably be up here in the worship band. And others of you are here because this is a freeing verse. I just love this one. To make a joyful noise to the Lord. Sing it out, shout it out. The Bible says, make your joyful noise. Shout it out. You say, well, I don't want to be too loud. And while we're at it there, preacher, boy, I, I, you know, what's with this people putting their hands in the air stuff? And, and, and what is that, just some big show? Or are they like, look at me, I'm worshiping? Sometimes, if we're going to be honest, sometimes people are like, look at me, look at what I'm doing, I'm worshiping. But more often than not, they're worshiping the Lord. The Bible says it's a natural posture for worship. Raise up holy hands, the Psalms say, the book of songs. Raise up holy hands to God. Lift them up in, in praise. You say, well, I would never do that. I wouldn't, and the reason I'll never do that is, what's the guy behind me going to think? Or, or the person across the aisle? What, what, what am I going to think? What, what, what's going to happen? That's self-conscious worship, isn't it? What if your worship was God-conscious? What if you were more focused on what God thinks of the way you express your faith and worship than what other people around you think? How freeing would that be? Because here, let's make a pact with each other here at Hope, right now, at Hope Des Moines. Nobody will look at you funny no matter what you do. So if you want to join the Fat Boy Slim dance, you know, during one of the songs, you need to kind of start grooving as you go. If the Spirit moves you and you don't do it, that's when we're bordering on sin. Now, 
a word of grace and mercy for those of you who are stoic, all right? Do not judge the people who just stand there and don't move a muscle. They, look, they, they worship like Spock, right? No feeling whatsoever, no emotion at all. It's just, you know, you look around, it's like, do not assume that, yes, somebody got an amen, for, somebody finally got his hand in the air, there it is. There it is, yeah, that's it. You get the little Spock signal, the Vulcan death grip, there it is. I'm telling you, this is my favorite size congregation. I just love, I just, you just embrace this. This is a good thing. I don't know why the Lord has me preaching out there in front of all those people. I just, I ruin a shirt every Sunday doing it. But, and I'm from the city. I don't even get suburban people, but here I am. It's like Paul. He was a Jew who was sent to the Gentiles. And I think I'm a guy who grew up in the city of Chicago and I'm sent to the suburbs. It's just God up there, ha ha, watch what I do. I'll send you to people you do not get. Three car garages and barbecues, what? I don't understand, I don't, I don't understand it at all. But, so, <laughs> you're my peeps, right? This is the, this is the suburbs. So we worship God with everything we've got in a God conscious way. What, what if it was, you say, well, I'm not going to put my hands up. You don't have to. You don't have to. And don't judge the people who don't. Because I'm going to tell you, as a, as, a, as a person who's half Scandinavian, <laughs> it can come pretty naturally for some of us. That you don't have to dance and move and throw your hands up to be worshiping with everything you've got. But see, then that's the key. Psalm 103, the Bible reading you heard earlier in the service. Let all that I am, let all that I am praise the Lord. Let all that I, when's the last time you did that? Everything that you are, praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. No matter how it comes out in expression, with everything you've got, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. And in case you do, here's the list in this book of songs, the 103rd song. He forgives all my sins, and so let all the people say, praise the Lord. Praise Go ahead and say it. Yeah, you can say it. It's okay. You can let it out. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. Think about these things. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle's. And on and on it goes. God's given us all sorts of reasons to praise him. He forgives us. He saves us. He sustains us. He inspires us. He leads us. He guides us. He comforts us. He comes alongside of us. He alone is worthy of our praise. In the Old English, the word translated from the original Hebrew and Greek is worth-ship. Everyone say worth-ship. That's really what worship means until it became Middle English and more modern English and we call it worship, but it was called worth-ship. God alone is worth it. God alone is worth our praise. Above all praise, he gets our loudest shouts, he gets our biggest praise, and it shapes us. The word ship isn't just some vessel that floats in the water, it's something that shapes who we are at the very essence of our being and our souls. 
So when we make time and follow the Sabbath command and we give God praise as the one who above all other things, there's nothing wrong with praising other people. There's nothing wrong with praising other things. The Bible isn't against that. In fact, healthy people praise things that are worthy of praise. If somebody does something well, you don't get jealous and envious of it. You pray, you say, that's awesome. You, you walk along the arts festival and you see some beautiful art that inspires you. You don't say, I wish I could have done that. You say, that's beautiful. Well, you walk up to the artist who's standing right in the tent and say, that inspires me. I'll guarantee you it'll make that person's day. That your art is beautiful. Healthy people praise other people. They, when, they, when they have good reason to do so, they, they let it out. They express it freely. The critical people are the people who have lost that ability to praise. It's easy to criticize and almost against our human nature to lift somebody else up because then it becomes this competition. But God alone, above all the other things we praise, is worthy of our praise. I was at a Chicago Bears game a few years ago. It's my team, and I'm sorry if it's not your team, but you know, it's all good, clean fun. Uh, I'm from Chicago, so we're, we're at Soldier Field, um, some friends and I, and, and Devin Hester's playing for the Bears back then, and he's the greatest kick returner in the history of the NFL. And opening kickoff, I lean over my friend, I say, what would happen if he takes it all the way back? Sure enough, they kick off, Devin Hester gets it at the goal line, and he runs. He's like a man amongst boys. He, he runs straight through the defense, into the end zone for an opening kickoff, 102-yard touchdown return. And without, you, we couldn't contain ourselves. You couldn't stop ourselves. We're like, yeah! I'm like, yeah, yeah! <laughs> Norwegian Swedish guy. I'm, my hand, I'm high-fiving drunk strangers all over Soldier Field. Yes, yes, yes! Woo! And one of my friends says, isn't it funny how we never do that for God in church? It's not that Devin Hester doesn't deserve my praise. He did. <laughs> it's just God deserves more. Why do I give my best fist in the air for a football player? When the God who made me, created me, saves me, sustains me, leads me, guides me, comforts me. That's the God who deserves our worship. He is worthy of it. And when I get that, when I do that, when I make that a priority above all other things, it shapes me. It ships me. It puts me together and aligns me with who God create, has created me to be. That's why we need to be here. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Don't you know I have a heart condition and Dr. <laughs> Dr. Lemon goes to the first service? I mean, come on. Just, that was perfect. Well done. Well done. The other thing about worship is you get to be honest when you come in here. There's 50,000 other things about worship, but the other thing I'm going to point you to today in the scriptures is this. You get to be honest about who you are. You get to tell the truth. It doesn't mean you have to walk through the door and say, well... I'm here at worship, so i got to praise, so put on my happy face and just pretend. No, the Psalms, if you think the Psalms are just surface 
or even the Bible, just as a bunch of shallow stuff about pretending everything's okay and God is going to take care of every detail just when you want him to. You haven't read the Psalms, have you? Psalm 43, why are you down in the dumps, my dear soul, me? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Fix my eyes on God. That's what worship does. It reminds us who God is, and when we are reminded who God is, that reminds us who we are. I'll fix my eyes on God, and then soon I'll be praising again. Because you see this relationship that your creator, the creator of the universe, sets up with you, inspires you to receive this blessing of untouchable joy. The world can't touch it. A blessing that says your circumstances are important, but they're not as big as this. God's blessing for you, God's presence in your life is bigger than your bad day. It's bigger than your bad year. It's bigger than your challenging decade or era of your life. God's love and his presence, and he's invited you into it right here in this holy space every Sunday morning or Saturday night. Set aside a Sabbath day. Set aside a time to be refreshed by this God. Soon I'll be praising again. Not because everything's perfect in my life in this fallen, messed up world, but because in this fallen, messed up world, this side of heaven where I'm going to have trials and tribulations, I have a God who promises to overcome them, and I have a God who promises to win victories over these enemies for me, and I just need to keep the faith and hold on. And so he puts a smile on my face because he reminds me that everything I'm up against right now isn't going to last, but my God is. He reminds me that the stuff I'm dealing with, even my death, li listen to the book of Psalms, the most famous of all the Psalms. Even though I walk through the deepest, darkest valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. That's not superficial, kind of pretend everything's okay kind of language. That's very raw. That's very honest. That's very down to earth. Even though I walk through the valley of death, which all of us will at some point. I have nothing to fear because you're with me, creator of the universe. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are with me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows, and so surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because I know that I know that I know that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is a God who loves us like that and who meets us here in his house every Sunday morning. Receive it. Breathe it in. Take it in. And then go out and tell the world. Go out and shine your light. Go out and have your parties in the parking lot. So maybe two people or five people or 25 people will see your light. And they'll start to realize what they're missing above all other things. Give me a map, God, the psalmist cries out, so I can find my way to this sacred mountain, to the place of your presence, to enter the place of worship, to meet my exuberant God. That's why what we do here on Sunday at worship, when we have church, as Jed likes to tweet out almost every Sunday, church, I love that. Something special, holy, set apart about this. Yep, worship the Lord in everything you do, at the office, at school, in your neighborhood, with your friends. It's all worship. It is. It's all worship. But this, this is set apart. 
This is something that God says you need to do because it's who you are. You might experience God, you might get goosebumps, bonus. You might get something out of it, frosting on the cake. But we're here because we need to be here. It's how our creator created us. And when you get that, happier, healthier, live longer, whole new perspective on life. A new perspective on your joys, and a new perspective on your sorrows. And so we praise the name of God. He alone is worthy. And when we do, it shapes us. That's what worship, worship is. We metaphorically, at least, lay down on the ground and kiss the earth that God has made for us to honor and praise him. We lift up holy hands if you're moved to do so or we stoically soak it all in if that's who you are. Details. But worship the Lord with all you've got in a God-conscious way, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength and it'll breathe new life into you. The subtitle for this hymn and the, the hymn writers from Hillsong who put this song together they started the lyrics once upon a time, put it on the shelf, didn't think anything would come, and then it came back. They decided, we want to write a new classic hymn, a beautiful savior, amazing grace kind of hymn that has timeless biblical truths and language in it. We want to sum up the Christian life in the lyrics of this song, this psalm, so that when people in churches all over the world sing it, they'll be led before the throne of this holy God. Anastasis is the Greek word in the New Testament for resurrection, new life for you and for me. Let's stand up and praise the Lord before we go home.